the items and announcements to talk through before we prepare formally for the offering. Uh, one, if you're first... I figured having a couple weeks off, I didn't have any tears to bring to you today, but that's okay. So, do anyone else, does anyone else have a hard time understanding the Bible? Just raise your hand if you've had a hard time. You've, found, you've, read, you've read your Bible like, this is confusing, this is hard. Uh, there's stuff that Jesus has said, and you're like, scratch your head, I don't know what this means. Uh, I think you're in good company because I think if you're human and you're honest and you have a brain, there is stuff in this book that is difficult to understand. So it's okay. And as we've been studying this gospel of Luke, and I've just taken some of these stories of Jesus and the disciples, and I just want to say what's happening here. There's a handful of stories in Luke's gospel where Luke just simply says, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And I'm like, Thank you, Dr. Luke, for putting it in Holy Scripture, saying the people that knew Jesus best didn't understand what he was saying. So as we look at this theme today for understanding Jesus, I want to look at three passages in Luke's gospel. There's a few other places where it talks about understanding, but I want to just walk us through three passages of what it looks like to understand Jesus And I read a a selection from Philip Yancey's book, The Bible Jesus Read, and he quotes Soren Kierkegaard. This might be the first time I've quoted him in a sermon. Danish philosopher from back in the 1800s, he has this advice. He's got two suggestions when you read your Bible. He says, number one, read the Bible as a love letter. Some of you are like, really? But he's on to something. There's a story here. I think it's more of a story than just a love letter. But here's what he says. Read it like a love letter as you struggle with the language and the culture and other barriers. Look on, look on them as the necessary work to get to the main crucial message from someone who loves you. I think that's helpful. Second, he suggests, act on what you understand. Kierkegaard dismisses the objection. There are so many obscure passages in the Holy Scriptures, whole books which are almost riddles, with the reply that he would only consider the objection from someone who had fully complied with all the passages that are easy to understand. I think he's just saying, start with what you know, what is clear and understandable, do that. And then let's progress to some of the more difficult sections of Scripture and see how we can apply that. But just start with what you know, what you understand. So in our journey today, I want to walk us through three passages. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2. I want to invite you to your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. This is where Jesus is at the age of 12. The only story that we have in Scripture that describes Jesus as a young person other than being the baby in the manger and you know, in the house with his mom and dad. Luke chapter 2, verse 41, Luke chapter 2, uh, 41, uh, Jesus is going up to the temple with his family, it's Passover time, this big celebration feast, it's sort of like Independence Day and Thanksgiving rolled into one for the Jewish people, and in Luke chapter 2, 41, uh, his parents go home, and they're ready to, uh, to go on home, and they think he's with them, and so we're going to pick up the story in verse 43, Luke chapter 2. 
After the festival was over, while Jesus' parents were returning home, the boy Jesus, I like how Luke describes him, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that Jesus was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and, and friends. And again, it's probably 90 miles on foot from Jerusalem back up to Nazareth. Verse 45, but when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, I always like three days in the Gospels. Good things happen after three days, don't they? After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Again, how old is Jesus? He's 12 years old. Okay? And so he's, he's saying, okay, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Moms, you said anything like that to your kids before? You may have had other tones and other ways to describe it, but the Methodist message is still the same. Hey, what did you do? What do you think you're doing here? You know, we were supposed to be home by now. We've added several extra days and expense to our trip because of you. Here's what he replies. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Okay. And so here's how Luke describes their response. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. These are the parents of Jesus, and they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So if you have trouble understanding Jesus, it's okay. Even his own mom and dad didn't understand it all. Now, we've got to be careful here because Jesus did not sin, so I don't think he's disobeying or disrespecting his mom and dad. Maybe be careful that we don't go down that path. But maybe he's saying something to the fact, Mom and Dad, I love you, but there's someone who's even more important than you, my Father in heaven. And didn't you know I had to be with him? They don't understand what's happening. Then verse 51, which further gives us a good characterization of, of Jesus. Then he went down to Nazareth. Got to go down from Jerusalem to go back up to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I'm kind of getting the kids' lesson in early, aren't I? This is, that's probably what I need to tell them next week, which is part of it. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So just a verse between, I don't know what's going on here, this boy is, I can't figure him out, to she's holding something dear in her heart. And then next week we will have this verse read. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So maybe what you could take away is those times when you don't understand Jesus, maybe there's actually a moment there where you can say, okay, Jesus, I don't know what all is going on, but I must, I'm going to let this kind of hang in here and let's, let's you and me just soak on this a little bit and treasure it in our heart. That seems confusing, doesn't it? But maybe that's what we should learn from Mary because it's not the first time Mary's done this. You go back 12 years earlier and right after the shepherds leave, you go to chapter 2, verse 19, and it said, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
This could be a good, I should probably say this for Mother's Day because I think this would be a good Mother's Day sermon that from the birth of Jesus to age 12, which is kind of right before he becomes a man, his life is bookended by his mom holding him close to her heart. Now you do your whole life. But there's something there that she's pondering some things. And maybe even when we don't understand it, maybe still God can move in some ways. So as we're seeking to understand some things, maybe there's just something today that you hear that you just need to kind of tuck away in your heart, ponder. Think about that. There's another story that it describes disciples of Jesus, and it's in chapter 18. So go to your Bible, it's chapter 18. This is a time where Jesus is going to predict what's going to happen in Jerusalem. This is really the third of those predictions. Luke 18, 31 to 34. It's not the parents this time, it's actually the disciples, the 12. And they are going to hear some things from Jesus, and they're going to be a little bit confused. And so verse 31, Luke chapter 18, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Now this word Son of Man is, is, is Daniel 7 talk where Jesus is going to fulfill that. The Son of Man is going to come and defeat evil. So that's one picture of what's happening the prophets are talking about. The Son of Man, what's going to be fulfilled Maybe it's in a prophet, Isaiah. Do you want to turn your Bibles to kind of the middle of your Bible, roughly? Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7. 700 years before Jesus, we have this picture of a suffering servant. Isaiah 50, verse 6 and 7. Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah. I offered my back to those who beat me. Hold on to that word. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. I underline that word. You remember that one too. We're going to see in a second. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, like a rock. And I know I will not be put to shame. So we've got beating, we've got spitting, and we've got a face that's set strong like flint, which Luke's gospel tells us in Luke 9, 51, 52, that Jesus resolutely set his face to Jerusalem. And what's going to await Jerusalem? What's going to await him in Jerusalem? He's getting ready to tell you. Go back to Luke 18, 32. So we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that written the prophets, the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Verse 32, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. They will insult him. They will spit on him. They will flog him. And they will kill him. Those same two words, flog and spit. Isaiah 50, beat, spit. On the third day he will rise again. Seven different things that he's describing. The first six are going to be pretty painful. Number seven is going to be where he rises victorious over evil. Eat that. I forgot to bring that. We were listening to the sermon last week online. It's kind of nice to be able to have that. Uh, again, hello to those who are out on Facebook and YouTube today. Last Sunday, we were coming home, listening to the sermon, and uh, Tommy Ewald was preaching. I'm thankful for his partnership in the gospel, and 
he was describing some of what happened to Jesus. You remember the story. and uh, It talked about how he would be scourged or flogged. And my nine-year-old said, what's that mean, Dad? What's it mean to be flogged? He said, well, I've got this thing in my study, and it's sort of like a stick that would have had straps of leather or whatever string-type stuff they used in the old days. And there'd be things that were sharp on the ends, bones or pottery shards or whatever would cut. And they would just take this and kind of flick it on someone's back to where it would stick. And then they'd rip it. And they would do that over and over and over again. And I said, a lot of people died. He said, our Jesus was strong enough even to survive that before they put him on the cross. I said, that's what it means to be flogged. Out of the mouth of babes. What's that mean? And so Jesus is saying that we're going to Jerusalem and nations are going to come and the Son of Man is going to be handed over, word betray, and they're going to mock him and insult him, spit on him. Do you ever think about Jesus just being spit on him? And they'll flog him and they'll kill him. And on the third day, he'll stand up. So you just hear that. And this is your leader telling you this. Your dear friend, your mentor. How are you feeling right now? I don't know if I went in on this story. I might be turning back on this one. Here's how they respond. Now this is not the first time Jesus has said this to them. Verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They did not know what he was talking about. The word did not know is where we get our word agnostic. They didn't know. There's no knowing. We don't understand this, Jesus. The meaning was hidden from them. Does that mean that, you know, is God kind of holding down the curtain a little bit for a season? Could be. That's one of the reasons he talked about in parables from Luke chapter 8, that though seeing they may not see or understand, could there be some evil things happening that's kind of clouding the vision? We're not so sure, but there's spiritual things happening. It sounds a little bit like how Pharaoh's heart was hardened in the Old Testament. Its meaning was hidden from them. They didn't understand. They didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus will rock your world. And there's some times where he says some stuff and you just don't get it. And maybe we have this picture of Jesus in our brains and, and then we hear stuff like this and we're like, I can't, I can't fathom that. I just, that just does not fit in my box for Jesus. And so maybe that's what's happening to the disciples. They're like, no, we supposed to, we're supposed to go to Rome and we're supposed to like have a victory parade. And I don't know what they were thinking, but this wasn't computing for them. They weren't understanding what was supposed to happen. And so maybe you have those moments with Jesus like, I just don't understand what you've got going on right now. If that's you, you've got good comp- you're in good company. The disciples had trouble understanding Jesus too. The other thing that's cool about Jesus is he's practicing or he's about to practice what he preaches. 
Because in Luke chapter 6, verse 29, Luke 6, 29, Jesus gives some challenging words. It's the sermon on the level place there in Luke's gospel. And so in Luke chapter 6, verse 29, he says, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Son of man is going to go be handed over to Gentiles. They're going to insult him. They're going to mock him. They're going to spit on him. We don't have a picture of Jesus just rising up and clocking him, do we? I mean, that'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Just, Jesus, why don't you just show him who's boss? But he's like, no, we're just going to take it. We had a trip just recently. We got to go down uh, through Little Rock, Arkansas. And my uh, daughter, Grace, she's asked if we could go through Little Rock to Central High School to the um, National Historic Site uh, for the Little Rock Nine. Do you know this story? The Little Rock Nine, 1957. Some of you are old enough to remember this. A lot of us, maybe not so. 1957, Brown versus Topeka Board of Education had been passed a little bit earlier to integrate the schools. And Central High School was the largest high school at the time, a little slow to integrate. And there were nine students, nine African-American students that wanted to attend high school there. It became a flashpoint. Uh, it became a mob scene. They had to, President Eisenhower had to call in federal troops to provide safe passage for these students to attend school. It was a major thing. And we got to go. There's a National Historic Site just catty corner from the school that is still, uh, still running, still active school uh, today. And um, we were walking through some of this uh, display. And uh, one of the displays caught my attention. It was about the, the sit-ins. The sit-ins. You remember this? Uh, uh, some of the... Um, People were denied service because of their race. And so um, African-American college students, along with uh, their white friends, would just come and sit at the lunch counter at these restaurants and ask to be served. And then they were refused service, so they politely just sat there and didn't say a word didn't cause a scene. They just wanted to be served. And James Lawson was a theology professor at, um, not the, theology student. Uh, that's a neat story as well. Contemporary of Martin Luther King Jr. But theology student, Vanderbilt University. And he was one of the, the leaders in these sit-in movements. And he gave some examples, some, some do's and don'ts. When you go to participate in this nonviolent, peaceful demonstration, here's what you should and should not do. He says, do show yourself friendly on the counter at all times. And I was reading through this display uh, there in Little Rock, Arkansas. Do show yourself friendly on the counter at all times. Do sit straight and face the counter. Do not strike back or curse if attacked. That one caught my eye. Where did he get that idea from? I think from Jesus that we just read, Luke chapter 6, 29. 
because you saw the picture of them dumping condiments and ketchup and just and they're just sitting there. Do not laugh out. Do not hold conversations. Do not block entrances. Sometimes we don't understand the ways of Jesus because they're so strange to our culture. And to not fight back when you want to so, so much. And Jesus says, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man is going to be handed over, beat up, mocked, whipped, killed. But on the third day, on the third day, he'll stand up. So maybe as you're trying to understand Jesus, maybe there's something in this section right here, the, the, the passion of Jesus that you just need to latch on and say, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. But I'll be honest, it's hard to understand Jesus, isn't it? But the third day comes... And we get to have another story about people and understanding on this side of Easter. And I invite you to Luke's gospel to chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And, and Tom mentioned how they, that Jesus showed up on that road to Emmaus with those, those two followers. And uh, they thought they understood it all. But uh, Jesus was able to clarify that. And Jesus shows up uh, with the disciples there. I'm looking at about verse 36 now of Luke 24. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus stands up with them. Peace to you. He offers them his proof that he's alive. They think he's a ghost. He's like, touch my hands, feel my feet. He's like, do you got something to eat? He eats a piece of fish right there in front of him. I think that's so, so cool. I still think we should have Easter fish fries. I just think we should. That's what Jesus had on Easter Sunday, it looked like. Uh, and so uh, he's like, can I have a piece of fish? He took it and ate it in their presence. Verse 44 of Luke 24. Jesus said to them, this is why I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And so it seems like on this side of Easter, it's starting to click for them. And I'll be honest, there's still some people that, are, that have some doubts and they're, they have some trouble with you know, not being able to believe that's still really Jesus. So it's okay to have your doubts. It means you're thinking. And so he starts unpacking to them, you know, what was shared about Jesus and the scriptures and the prophets and the law. And so you think about the, I don't think it was just every one of these little things of our list, but it's the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament. But just last night I was reading in Deuteronomy 21, it says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree and was cursed for us. He fulfilled that. The prophets, uh, Luke quotes Isaiah 52, verse 12, later, earlier in chapter 22, where it says, and he will be numbered with his transgressors, with the transgressors. He'll be crucified between a couple thieves. The Psalms, I love the Psalms. I want to encourage you to keep diving into those Psalms. It just gives us words to pray and, and words to our feelings. And the Psalms point us to Jesus. Psalm 2 comes to my mind. Why do the nations conspire and peoples plot against the Lord and his anointed one? Remember, he will be handed over to the 
Gentiles, handed over to the nations. Jesus fulfilled those words. So he fulfilled law, prophets, psalms. He also gave them one more proof, himself. He showed that those, everything was fulfilled that was written about me. He gave himself as proof. I was listening to a Bible Project a podcast just a couple weeks ago. And the Bible Project, it's really helpful if you're interested in digging deeper into your studies with Jesus. And it talks about how encountering the Bible and can we trust the Bible. And uh, they were saying, and I don't think this is very scientific, it's just like the vast majority. But he said nine out of ten people, uh, most people that start reading their Bible is because they had an encounter with someone who loved Jesus. And the reason you start reading this book is because you're captured by Jesus. There's something about Jesus or a group of Jesus followers that's piqued your interest. Maybe it's moms, dads, maybe it's friends, coworkers, but there's something about Jesus that prompts you to get into this book. I think a clear picture of who Jesus is helps us understand who he is. A clear picture of Jesus helps us understand who he is. A couple years ago, we were at home for quite a while. Maybe you were too. And we were doing a puzzle, the largest puzzle I think I'd ever done, I'd ever participated in. Beth got a 2,000-piece puzzle. You ever put a 2,000-piece puzzle together? We had to find a bigger table. And it was a Disney Pixar movie puzzle. It might have looked like this. I'm not 100% sure, but it was something similar to this puzzle. And uh, I don't know how you do puzzles, but the way we do puzzles is you, you do the border first. Is that how you do the puzzle? You start with the outline, the border, okay? But you, once you have the outline, it's still, you really, you're kind of looking at the box quite a bit, aren't you? The picture, whatever. And it's just hard to, hard to figure out where all this fits. But you got to start somewhere. You get your framework. I think following Jesus is a lot like putting a puzzle together. You got to have a framework. And that framework is really two questions Who is Jesus? And did he rise from the dead? That's what our faith boils down to. And it's what, Luke, what Jesus said. You know, here's who I am. I'm going to die. I will raise to life. And so that's kind of your framework, I think your border. Who is Jesus? Did he rise from the dead? And then as you start putting more things together, it starts getting clearer, doesn't it? And the longer we follow Jesus and the more time we get into God's word, it starts to come into focus a little bit better. And so this second picture kind of shows what this might look like. You've got some pieces and there's still some missing pieces, but eventually you can get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Following Jesus is hard. There's a lot of things we will never have figured out on this side of the new heaven, new earth. But I'm confident we stay in his word. But you look to whose word it is. It's all about Jesus. He will help us. So I encourage you, think about Mary. Is there something you need to ponder in your heart this week? Think about the disciples. Is there something about the, the passion that we need to, to center in on? Or is there something about Jesus standing up, raising from the dead, and the whole of scriptures that points to his fulfillment? I think if we could put some of those pieces together this week, just pick one or two, it'll start giving us a clearer picture of who Jesus is, and we can understand better 
about what he wants from us and how we can walk better with him. Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you for this time. I thank you for Luke's honesty that there were a lot of people that just didn't understand. And yet, uh, you didn't give up on them. You don't give up on us. And they can still keep growing in their walk with Jesus. So I pray you would help us to grow in our understanding. Help us to live with confidence in these days ahead. Lord, I want to pray for your protection and for your Holy Spirit to lead and just help us put hands and feet to this message today for your glory. May we walk with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Please join us.